Hey guys, I am super excited to talk to you about the midterms. You might not be excited to talk about the midterms, but we're going to talk about it because it is wildly important. What do I think is going to happen? Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around because we're going to laugh and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. Hey guys, happy November. I cannot even believe it is already November of 2022. Life is going faster as I'm getting older. I hope it's not just me. I hope you all had a awesome Halloween. I am just, even though it is like 77 degrees out today, I am feeling all the vibes of holiday. I like cannot wait to decorate my house for Christmas. Yep, I'm jumping ahead in my brain. But don't worry, I have a hard and fast line on zero Christmas until Black Friday. You cannot have a Christmas tree and Thanksgiving at the same time. This year, Thanksgiving is early, a little bit. It's what, the 24th, I think. And so we'll be there before we know it. But I am just ready for some holiday vibes. I'm very excited about it this year for some reason. I don't know. But... We have to talk about the impending midterm elections. I'm sure this is a topic that you're just so excited to talk about, right? I mean, who even ever talked about midterm elections before 2020? I'm sure people did. I never paid attention. I didn't care. I know I've said this before that this is the first uh, midterm election I think I will have ever voted in. I don't even think I even knew when midterm elections were happening before. Like, I think they just fully went by me and I did not realize. And now I find that there's this like anticipation to this midterm of November 8th. It's the first time we're voting in like a large scale election since 2020. Obviously 2020 left a whole lot of feelings and angst for so many of us. Um, I would say that's true for both sides of the aisle, because if you believe this was the fairest and, you know, best election ever on earth, then maybe you're feeling a lot of angst that people are going to accuse the election of being fraudulent again. And on the flip side, if you're the rest of us and you know that the 2020 election was riddled with irregularities, to say it very least then maybe you're nervous that that's going to happen again. And I have to tell you, I am somewhere in between. I want to just preface this conversation by saying what I've said before, that I do not believe the midterm elections are terribly relevant in terms of the direction that we are going. We are like, currently, this is my visual that just popped into my head. You know, Wiley Coyote when he runs full speed off the cliff and he runs off the cliff like parallel um, to the cliff for, you know, however many feet or yards before he realizes there's nothing underneath his feet. And then there's this moment of pause before he plummets to the ground. Um, That's where we are (laughs) as a country, if in my opinion, right, is we have run full speed 
off the edge of the cliff, and I don't mean to just say in the last two years, although that would have been um, the last two years for sure is where we left the ground. But even before that, I would say the last decade, we've been running towards the cliff, very well aware there's a cliff up there. Maybe we should slow down. There's a cliff. We're coming up to the cliff. Everybody, here we go. Are we all just going to keep running? It's been a lot of that for the last 10 years, even through Trump's presidency. Trump actually did sign off on the first, or I should say Trump and his um our Republican-controlled Senate at that time did sign off on the first COVID bill, the first giant bill, the biggest bill that um, there ever was, right? Before that time, that was like the biggest spending bill we've had. So he's not uh, blameless in this. And we, we sprinted off the cliff, but I will say the last two years have been that time where... Um, we have left the ground. There's no ground underneath us and we have just been sprinting on air, right? And now in this moment, some of us are in that pause in midair and go, oh no, oh no, there's no ground under us. That's where I see us as a country. So in all like optimism, <laughs> as you know, I like to bring so much optimism, uh, in all optimism, I don't think that I'm being ironic. I don't think that a red wave is going to do us any favors because even with a, a House and a Senate controlled by Republicans, I don't think that there's any way we can create ground underneath us when we're floating in midair. There's no way that we can undo fast enough what we have done to ourselves to not plummet to the earth. So we have a hard fall coming. I know I have said this. This is where I'm like laughing about my ever optimist look at the future. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very optimistic about, let me just say this. I'm not very optimistic about things staying the way that they are. Now, I don't think that that is all bad. Is it going to be very hard? Yes. Do we have very hard times ahead? Yes. Do I, can I even really understand what that means and explain it to you? Not really. Like, I don't actually know. I just know it's going to be very different and very challenging for the next decade at least, at least. Very hard, very different. We have not even begun the fall to the earth yet. We're still floating in midair, kind of realizing, oh crap, there's no ground under us, right? So there's no way to pull back from that. Now, what we can do maybe if we have some, and I will use the word conservative because I think Republicans are equally as atrocious as Democrats in so many ways. But what maybe some of the more conservative-minded, fiscally conservative, um, and tr conservative at the true root of that word, like desiring to um, conserve or keep the same, you know, some of our, the roots of our country, conserve the freedoms, conserve the liberty that we've enjoyed as a country for the last couple hundred years. Um, in that sense, I think that having some conservatives in office in the House and in the Senate will do us good in that it will slow down the damage. It will hopefully uh, manage the fall. Maybe it will give us a parachute to deploy as we plummet towards the earth. But make no mistake, 
this midterm is not consequential in the sense of we might be able to pull ourselves out of this inflation bubble. And this was actually something that a good friend of mine said that maybe after the midterms, you know, the rates are going to go down. And that was really telling to me because I thought, okay, the, the rates, the interest rates raising is not a Republican or Democrat issue, actually. The inflation that we're experiencing is caused by the massive spending that has been done over the last two years. But I also would include Trump's presidency in that as well, because like I said, he signed off on the first giant spending bill, the COVID relief, right? The first batch of COVID money that everybody got. So all of that spending hitting Main Street is what has caused the outrageous inflation over the last two years. So yes, that is largely on the hands of Democratic ideals, however, not entirely on the hands because the Republicans have been lockstep in both the House and the Senate in so many ways. I will give praise again to Joe Manchin because he has saved us from a couple additional giant spending bills, namely the Build Back Better bill that would have made this even more extreme and worse. So thank God for Joe Manchin yet again. There are some good ones. There are some good ones, but there are terrible terrible options on both sides of the aisle. And they are both responsible for us being floating in midair off the cliff. Absolutely. Now, the rate hike that's happening, this is coming from the Federal Reserve, which keep in mind, the Federal Reserve is a private entity. The Federal Reserve, don't fall for it, is not federalized. (laughs) It is a private bank that controls the entirety of our money supply. They are raising the rates, and thank goodness they are. It is hurting, don't get me wrong, if you are trying to buy a house right now, it's probably not awesome. If you're trying to buy a camper or a car, it's not awesome. If you're trying to borrow money, money is not cheap right now. Nor will it be, nor should it be for the foreseeable future if we want a dollar, if we want to save our currency, which again, I kind of feel like we're floating over the cliff on the currency. I don't see a way to pull this, (laughs) pull this train back. It it does feel like we've got a a leash on a freight train and we're trying to pull it back um, as it's just plowing straight ahead. So I'm not sure that we can save our currency, but if we want to even pretend like we're trying to save our currency, we have got to keep raising rates and we actually have to do it much more aggressively than we are doing now. I know that's not what we want to hear. We want money to be cheap. We want to go back to the good old days. We want rates to come down. But you guys, please understand, the raising of the interest rates is the only way currently that we have to stop inflation, or maybe not the only way, but for sure the best way and the fastest way, but we are not doing it fast enough. We are not actually sopping up the amount of money that needs to be sopped up with this, uh, with the um, rates going up. As I mean, they feel like they're going up quickly. They are get, going up quickly compared to how they've been the last 10 years, but they're not going up quickly enough. You guys have to remember when I was a kid in the 80s, my mom's first home that she bought, the interest rate was, I believe, in the 20s. Okay, so mortgage interest rates are right around 7% right now. I want to say that her first house was somewhere around like 23%, and the actual federal uh, interest rate was like 15, 17, somewhere like that. Um, I'm spitballing. I could be miss. I could be wrong on this. Maybe the um, the interest rate was somewhere around 18 and not 20, 23. And maybe I'm misremembering. However, it was insane. At least double what it is now. Insanely high. 
And the Federal Reserve chairman at the time had the guts to raise rates hard and fast to curb a inflationary environment then. He acted faster and more aggressively and the inflationary environment was less extreme then. We have a much more extreme inflationary environment now. We acted much slower. We, we started raising rates after the inflation rate had passed 6% and we are doing it very slow. We're being very just cautious with the raising of the rates because naturally it is crashing the economy. It is slowing down the economy in the very least. It's messing with the markets. It's crashing the real estate market. So we, you know, it's one of those like double-edged swords. We have to do it. And you guys, we have to keep doing it. And that's a bitter pill to swallow. But that is not something that has to do with, with Democrats or Republicans. That is economy, right? That's like non not having anything to do with parties that are in control so if you're hoping that inflation and this is actually a little bit irritating to me that so many republicans are running on inflation now don't get me wrong they're running on the idea that democratic ideas are the ones that got us into this inflationary environment that is true and they're running on the premise that they will not agree with vote for or suggest like ideas to continue to inflate our currency. So that's good, but they're also not going to be able to solve the current inflationary problem. And I don't feel like they're communicating that. And that in that sense, I think they're giving voters false hope. And that's coming from the right side. All this to say, there's only so much that a red wave is going to be able to do. Personally, if I'm just speaking about my own feelings on this, it would feel really good. It would just validate a little bit to see a red wave come and just decimate. I mean, I would love to see some of these grassroots candidates that are truly American patriot hearts come into the governor mansions across the country, of course, come into the Senate, of course, come into the House. Absolutely. I would love to see that. It would just be like, it would just make me feel good to be like, oh, thank you. Because for the last two years and leading up to 2020, we were just hearing that nobody wants this. Nobody likes Trump. Nobody likes these ideas. Nobody wants the country to be moving in this direction. And then, of course, we have the last two years where it's so hard for me to imagine that any Joe Biden voter is feeling like vindicated right now. <laughs> if anything, it's like the worst time ever to have been a Democratic presidential voter because I would be feeling mortified at this moment. Like I voted for you. Not only did I vote for you, Joe Biden, I didn't, but I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in their, their shoes, right? Not only did I vote for Joe Biden, but I like don't speak to some of my family members over it. <laughs> like I have cut ties. I have said hateful, hateful things. And this is how you represent us, Joe Biden. You can't even say a sentence without it becoming a meme. And again, I feel bad for Joe Biden. I don't think he's a good person. I don't feel like he's a good person and bad things are happening. I think he's a bad person and bad things are happening. I think he is being taken advantage of. He's clearly suffering from dementia. He needs to not be in the position of president 100%. But can you imagine people doubled and tripled down on this man? They severed ties with loved ones over this political conversation 
for what? Look at the country, look at the state that we're in. So yeah, I would love to see a red wave just because it would make me feel good on the inside. I'm not gonna gloat, this is as much as I'm gonna gloat. I'm not gonna gloat, I'm not gonna go on social media because I'm not on there and be like, told you so, or ha ha ha, or any of that, because that's ugly. And we saw plenty of that in 2020, we don't need any more of that. So yes, a part of me will just feel real excited to go, okay, I thought I knew that the majority of America preferred rational thought. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we've left, we have just gone so far away from rational thought in this country in the last two years. My gosh, we cannot even define what a woman is anymore. Like literally in 2020, there I, I have close family members who their identity was in their feminist stance in the world, like their, their feminist oppressed woman position in the world. And in two years, their own party has so turned on them that they're not even recognizing them as a woman, let alone an oppressed woman, which is their identity in the world, right? It has just been a really funny thing to kind of watch these ideologies cross over, be hypocritical and implode on themselves, right? We have just lost our ever-loving mind in so many ways over the last two years. So yeah, I like to think that my country and my countrymen, generally speaking, want to throw away a lot of this nonsense that everybody's racist and that there can be 78 genders. Like, I would love to see this just be mass rejected. That would make me feel good on the inside. It would give me some hope for humanity, okay? What do I think is gonna happen? My, several people have asked me this several times. <laughs> I'm like, well, we've got two options. We've got two options. And I feel angst. I have to tell you, like I am feeling feels in my tummy as we're getting closer and closer to this day. Part of me wants to be very excited, right? Part of me wants to be like, yes, we can take our country back. Yes, we can use the democratic process. Notice I didn't say democracy. We are not a democracy. So no one can be a threat to democracy if we're not even a democracy. That's my little tirade. I would love to see the democratic process work and represent the voice and the desires of the people. I would love to see that happen. I anticipate that happening. Every single poll, Democratic or conservative, is pointing to that happening. So yes, there is an expectation, even Gavin Newsom said, there's a red wave coming. And I do believe that if everything plays out the exact, without manipulation, that there will be a red wave, the likes of which we have never seen. I do believe that some of these um, candidates that might be sleeper candidates, like I think Carrie Lake in Arizona, she's going to be that governor of Arizona, which is so exciting. She's such an exciting candidate. And it gives me hope because she's much more like a Ron DeSantis. So in so many ways, I'm like, oh man, we've got so many good candidates coming for potential presidencies in the future if this all stays on track. And by this all, I mean our country. If our country stays on track, I am seeing candidates emerge that I am excited about. Carrie Lake being one, of course, Ron DeSantis. Tudor Dixon up in Michigan, I would love to see that. I would love to see this guy win in New York. Are you kidding me? That would be so cool to see a conservative become the governor of New York. I'm seeing all kinds of stuff that is like, whoa. It could be, and mainly it's governors. I'm really excited about governors coming into power in some of these states because that's where um, we saw so much abuse of power through the pandemic, right? It was from the governor's mansion. 
So that's exciting to me. And then I, you know, see that, yes, it is obvious, very likely. If we don't take the House, and I hate to even say we because it makes me feel like I'm a Republican, let's go. If Republicans or conservatives, I just, ugh, it's so hard for me to identify with Republicans in so many ways. But if conservative-minded people take the House, then um, that's expected, right? That, in the very, very, very least, there should be a huge red wave in the House. That is so expected every poll from the get-go. That all That's like historically the way that it goes. Every time there's a Democratic president in office, that first midterm, it the House flips, right? So that is historically expected. All the polls are pointing to that. If that doesn't happen, oh, good goodness gracious, we've got some big problems. House is going to flip by huge margins. The Senate should flip. The Senate should totally flip red. Now, that one's a little bit harder to call because those races are a little bit closer. But I am super excited about people. Oh, my gosh. Blake. What's his last name? Can't think of it. Blake Masters in Arizona. Super excited about him as a candidate. Um, J.D. Vance. I'm not excited about Oz, but I am excited about having the conservative voice went over the Senate. <laughs> so there are some really exciting candidates that are that are in a statistical tie that were not necessarily expected to win. And I think that we, we should, if there is no manipulation, we should see multiple seats gained in the Senate. Multiple seats, meaning like 54. There should be 54 red seats. That's what I would expect if there were no manipulation. Then we have the question, if there's no manipulation... <laughs> Do you guys remember back not so long ago before the pandemic when we knew who was elected on election night? Do you remember that? Now, the reason why that changed, here's where I get so, so angry at the propaganda machine that is just cranking on all cylinders all the time, 24-7. It's so frustrating. We're being told, uh, Biden just said it in his presidential speech the other, like, the other day, which was just so laughable garbage, his presidential speech, but I'm not even going to go into that. He said, we may not know who the winner is on election night. It may take several days. This is gaslighting. Why? Why, Joe Biden? Why would it take several days for us to know who the winner of these elections are? Because for a hundred billion years, before we had machines and after we had machines, we have always known who was elected on election night up until 2020. Magical things happened in the middle of night, uh, in the middle of the night in 2020. I do not need to remind those of you who have been paying attention that we all went to bed around one in the morning where Trump was winning every single one of the swing states that ended up in the morning going to Biden. I will never forget waking up in the morning. I was so like just weirded out and and just dis disturbed in my soul when I woke up that morning. I went to bed at 1 a.m. on election night 2020. And I woke up in the morning and all of those states had flipped and it had been a matter of like five or six hours I was asleep. And he was winning with a huge margin. And to come to find out the vote had stopped there was broken pipes. There was all this, you know, that was the beginning of things never being the same for me in my personal life. Like it has not gone back to how my life was November 2nd of 2020. Everything has changed after that day because of what I 
felt deep in my soul, just the trouble and the burden that I felt in my soul that next morning when I woke up and was like, this is just not right. What happened? What happened? And we still didn't know who was officially elected for what, a week, 10 days after election night? This is, that has never happened before in the history of our country, never before. Now, why on earth? You could make excuses as to why that happened in 2020 because we were in the midst of a very deadly and scary pandemic. So lots of absentee ballots went out. Lots of people were afraid to come to the polls and vote in person. So there was lots of ballots to count. I'm not sure exactly why a mail-in ballot is any different from a in-person ballot in terms of counting because they're counted by machines and or counted by people or however. They're counted in smaller and smaller groups. So even though our population has grown, the people counting have gone to smaller and smaller groups, right? So if, if you have to count a million ballots but you give, you know, a hundred ballots to each person and you have enough people to count them, it's not that hard. You count your group of ballots, you report it to whoever's in charge, that person reports it up the chain, and within a matter, within an hour, you can count a million ballots with enough people. We have enough people, it's not the question. That's not the question. Why is it taking so long? Well, why would it now be taking any longer than any other historical election? 2020 being the only exception and they changed rules. So nobody knew the laws, right? They changed all the things last minute. There was extra this or different that or people didn't do this or we've had to forgive these sorts of signatures and blah, blah, blah. Everything changed. Okay, so in hindsight, I can go, I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna go with you in 2020 as a specific and unique year Yes, I can see how there would have been a touch of a delay in counting the vote because of all of the extenuating circumstances. Yes, okay, I'll go with you a little bit on that. Why now? Why in 2020? We are not in the middle of a pandemic. There is not mass ballots being sent out, although there are way too many ballots being sent out. That did not shift as much as it needed to back to the way that it was before 2020, and we have work to do there, guys. Why would it, why would it take so long again? We're not under the same extenuating circumstances as we were in 2020. It should be exactly back to the way it was in 2018 or 2016 or any election before that when we knew exactly who was elected on that night. So if we do not know who is elected or if, let me tell you, if we go to bed on November 8th and it looks like these people are all winning and then we wake up on November 9th and it looks like different people are winning, I'm telling you, oh my gosh, it burdens my soul so deeply. That is why I feel nervous, because if it is not a very clear-cut, extraordinary red wave, which is expected historically, it's expected in the polls, it's expected if you look at statisticals, even with the early voting in, you can see what is expected. If it is not that way, if it does not go that way, then I fear that there will be an uproar in this country like we have not yet seen. And although, again, polling shows nobody cares about January 6th, that is a narrative that they tried to run with, they're still trying to run with, Joe Biden brought it up again just yesterday, that's still a thing they're trying to stir the pot with. Most people don't care about January 6th anymore. They've gotten the facts, they've figured out the only person that died that day was Ashley Babbitt, who was shot by police. 
The other people who died died of natural causes. No police officers were killed. None of that. All of that has been cleared up. Hopefully, hopefully everybody knows that and understands that. That story has been kind of like, we don't care anymore. We don't care. That is not, that's not affecting our life. But let's just say, because we've talked about January 6th at nauseum over the last two years or a year. Yeah, two years almost. That's nothing compared to what I fear could happen if we do not see a very clear cut red wave. That's where my angst comes from. Now, to be clear, I'm not advocating for any violence. I'm not suggesting that we do anything or take to the streets or any of that. Of course, protesting, I'm all about it. I'm all about that. I just wonder because being there on January 6th and seeing the angst in the people, the self-control, I'll use that word, the self-control of the great, great majority of the people who were there that day, who were livid, who left their lives in the middle of winter, drove in the snow, in our case, 12 hours to spend not even 48 hours in Washington, D.C., had to find childcare for our kids, made the decision last minute, had to spend money to get there. The restraint, although we were willing to do that much, although we were, it, it was important enough that we were like, this can't stand. This is, this is insane. We need to slow down. We need to look at this. We need our voices heard. Whoa, 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 whoa. That was what was happening in the crowd that day. And let me tell you, there were people that were just angry. People that were so bothered, like myself, by what was going on right in front of our face and the gaslighting that was being attempted. That there was nothing wrong. Freest and fairest election of all time. No, no fraud whatsoever. Not even acknowledging the very obvious and blatant crimes that were very easily proven. The hundreds, if not thousands of affidavits. Just complete, there's no evidence of voter fraud. No evidence of voter fraud. To just be gaslit right to our faces. There, This country showed a tremendous amount of self-restraint. And... We took to the democratic process and we petitioned to our leadership that was already in office and we advocated for election integrity laws, right? And we saw in many states election integrity laws come into play. We saw courts uh, hearing cases, making changes, making rulings that worked in favor in most cases of secure elections and moving us into a more confident place as voters. So instead of burning it all down, like we saw in the summer of 2020, we saw a tremendous amount of restraint in this country where people just swallowed down all the anger that they felt and they, the, the sense that they were deeply, deeply wronged, that something was stolen from them. And then to have to go through the last two years and see the country that we all love so much just being trampled on, our livelihoods just being trampled on, our currency, the whole thing, everything being trampled on. We have seen a tremendous amount of restraint and we've been told just sit still, wait our turn, be patient, show up to vote. If we don't see some gratification come from that restraint, some, you know, I don't, I don't want to say like that it was worthwhile, that there's some like it was worth just chilling out and waiting and being patient if we don't have some satisfaction of that sense that we were so deeply wronged two years ago then I am afraid of what is going to happen I'm afraid of the consequences of that 
So yeah, I feel angst. I feel nervous because I don't know. I do not know if they are going to try to just blatantly steal it again in front of our faces. Joe Biden is calling these candidates election deniers. It's such a funny phrase, like election deniers. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, goodness gracious. The, the narrative, and again, the propaganda machine is so frustrating. So frustrating the lengths to which they will go to hold so deeply to a lie when the evidence is so very clear around them. The vaccines being another example, right? Like we're just going to hold so deeply to this narrative that these vaccines were a good idea and that they're still good and people should still be getting their umpteenth booster, even though every single study, everything around us is showing us these are poisonous. These are hurting people at massive numbers. People are dropping dead that have no health issues. Like it is, it is staggering that anyone is still holding on to this narrative about the vaccine, but it is because of this crazy propaganda machine that we've just been beaten down. We've been beaten down with fear, so much fear, so much fatigue of information. I can't even think about it anymore. I don't want to think about it anymore. I'm just going to do whatever my doctor says. I don't even care anymore, right? So we're fatigued. We're fatigued and we're in a very interesting place in this country. And I am just, just feeling a little bothered. With all that said, I know after January 6th, I said, I have been heard to have been said. I've heard to have been said. <laughs> I have been known to have said, this may be what I meant, that I will never vote again. Well, I take that back. I will vote. I will vote and I will encourage you to vote. If you've never voted, now's the time. Because let me tell you, when this world falls to crap, if it does, I want to be able to look at my kids and say, I did everything I could. I did everything I could. The least of that, the least hard thing I could do is vote against it. Vote to change it. I just want to be able to look at my kids in the eye and say, I did what I could do. I didn't sit home. I didn't stop paying attention. I wasn't flippant. No, I tried. I tried. I'm so sorry that the world fell apart, but I tried. I fought through the democratic process. I did everything that I knew to do so that if and when it comes to uh, just utter chaos and crisis in this country. I have a, I have an unburdened conscience knowing, conscience knowing that I did my part. I went and participated in the way that I could. So I beg of you, if you're on the fence, go vote. Go vote, please. We have to. We have to overwhelm the system. If there is a plan in place, and you better believe there is, I know that they are planning to do some sort of manipulation. I don't know the scale. I know that there's going to be some races that are just going to be stolen. I'm, I believe that. I believe that. I hope it's not on a huge scale. <laughs> and I hope that there is such an enormous turnout that they can't even project it, they wouldn't even expect it, and it overwhelms the system. That is why 2020 is so blatant, blatantly fraudulent, because they did not anticipate. There were higher numbers voting in 2020 than ever before. Trump got more votes than any ever any incumbent president ever before him. These are huge numbers of voters that turned up in 2020, which is why it was so such a cluster, which is why they had to break pipes and stop counting and send people home and pull ballots out from underneath tables and do all of the things 
That's why they had to do it because the turnout was so much bigger than they expected that they had to go for every single thing they could do. And it looked so obvious if you looked closely. If you gave it one critical glance, you would see it so blatant the way that the rest of us do. Why we feel so convicted, you could never tell me. You could never tell me that was a fair election. Never would believe you. Because I've looked critically at all of it. I've looked at all of it. But the only reason it was so obvious and so blatant is because of the numbers of voters that showed up. Midterms are classically under participated <laughs> in. People don't come and vote for midterms. Like I've said, I've voted for every president that I've been eligible to vote for, but I've never voted in a midterm election. I don't even pay attention to them. I didn't even before 2020 fully grab a hold of the difference between the Senate and the House and why they were separately important and which one had more power in which ways. I didn't really fully remember all that that I learned in school. Didn't really care. Didn't affect my life until after 2020. I'm super grateful to understand it now. Oh boy, do I understand it and I love it. I actually really enjoy learning about it. I, re I enjoy understanding it. But yeah, I didn't care about it before. So I never voted in a midterm before. So I think there's a lot of me's in the world that are going to show up and it's going to be an unanticipated giant wave of votership coming on the, on the, the voter day, in-person voter day, November 8th. I hope you're there. I hope you're voting. I want you to anticipate that it is going to be long lines, <laughs> that there's going to be a lot of people, but that's exciting actually to me. I can't wait to go stand in line. I can't wait to like see all the people who are out to like make a change in their country. I can't wait to feel the energy of people that are activated, people that know what the heck's going on and people that say, I'm done with this. I'm over it. I'm going to do what I can do. I love that I know people who are running for office for the first time ever. Never even occurred to them for run to run for office. Most of them probably didn't even know the office they're running for existed before they decided to run for it. I love to be a part of that energy. So I'm excited about what's coming on November 8th. I'm excited to wait in line. I'm excited to see all the people turn out. But I hope that you guys turn out, especially if you're in a state like Arizona or if you're in a state like Michigan or New York. If you have the opportunity to participate in like a huge upset, that's exciting. Pennsylvania, another good one. That's exciting. That's exciting to see. I wish in Tennessee I could vote for a cool, awesome candidate that's like going to take over the Senate or whatever, going to bring their hot grassroots ideas I don't have any of that in Tennessee. We're just good old fashioned conservatives here. Actually, I wish we were voting for a really exciting governor because I'm not a fan, I'm not a fan. So that's my, that's my two cents for you on the election. Let's go, let's do our part so that we have a clear conscience as things unfold after the election. We know we have participated in the way that we can. You can't tell me, I didn't. I will look at my kids and go, I fought, I fought the way that I knew how to fight. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Father God, as always, it is such a comfort to know that you are on the throne. You are in control. You are sovereign over all of this. You know exactly what's going to happen, good or bad upset or triumph, victory or failure, you know it's part of your plan. You are good. We can trust in that. Let us just have that peace flow over us 
flow through our heart as we take the steps that we can because we are your hands and feet, Lord. Let us be your hands and feet. Let us stand up for what you would be standing up for, Lord. Let us hate evil the way that you hate evil. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.